Welcome, everyone, to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. It's 2022, and I'm here back again with my great co-hosts, Greg Kirish and Jay Alley. Hi, gentlemen. How are you all? Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That was kind of short and brief. Anyway, we've got a great guest today, and I want to talk about Marsha Diamond. Marsha Diamond is, she's on coming on, and she is in, a consultant of sorts. And when I say of sorts, I, I say that with uh, all positive vibes going her way because she does so many things, and she f- doesn't like it when I say this, but she focuses on the non-commercial aspects of the food service business. And... She's always quick to to stop me and say, no, I do restaurants, regular restaurants, traditional hotels. I do all kinds of people, but I do have an expertise in the non-commercial segment. That's for sure. So I don't know if you know much about Marsha, but she's 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 really talented. She's also got a lot of culinary uh, and nutrition experience, too. She's really an expert in those areas as well. So not just a a flogger of goods, so to speak. I'm really looking forward to talking with her. Yep, me too. All right, gentlemen, without any further ado, let's get uh, Marsha in here. Get, let's give a big warm welcome from Marsha Diamond, everybody. Marsha, it's so great to have you with us today. We're very interested in uh, some of the things that you're going to be telling us. So welcome aboard. Welcome. Thank you for having me, and thank you for allowing me to share some of my insights. So let me tell you a little bit about me. I've been in the uh, food service and dietetics industry over 40 years. I'm currently a food service marketing and sales consultant, and my philosophy is food service forward by aligning strategies for products and services with the customer's needs today and in today's climate. One of the things I value about myself is I'm a good listener, and I definitely get expert content when I present for marketing, for educating, for influencing and speaking with from the end user to the B2B, to the B2C. The idea is to be relevant in whatever things, sales or marketing or services that we're approaching. Being in the industry over 40 years, I've always applied that in when I worked for companies, when I worked in operation, and now today working for myself, doing the same thing. Marsha, I love food service forward. Tell us a little bit more about what that means and how how that came about. I think people get stuck like a deer in headlights many times. Challenges happen. Obviously, COVID was a major disruptor. And I think out of disruption, we have to move forward. And sometimes we move forward in a very small baby step. And sometimes we take leaps. And sometimes we have to, we're forced to embrace it. But the idea is staying the same isn't going to allow us to be better in food service and isn't allow us to be profitable in food service. I think that pretty much we just keep moving forward steadily and consistently. 
Yeah, I think uh, everybody is anxious to get uh, this whole category moved forward. And I think and re- start reconnecting together with other, with other people, too. There, to be a reality is, is that restaurateurs, operators of all types, and one of the things I want to get into is some of the non-commercial operations, which you're such an expert at. But they've all been whipsawed by health health trends and fads and, and all kinds of other things beyond COVID, even, even pre-COVID. Tell us a little bit about what that means to some of the clients that you serve. Especially when we're considering, you know, because you're a dietetics and nutrition expert, yeah. you know, we've seen low sodium, low fat, high fat, gluten-free, low carb, low cal, allergies. I mean, what, what, do you see, what do you see on the horizon? Well, that's two parts. So first part I'm going to say is non-commercial is a sweet spot for me, but I work with lodging and all kinds of components of it. I think, let me start with the COVID component, how COVID has changed all food service operations. Obviously, it's changed other, but in food service, food safety is a focus for, for restaurateurs, for food service, labor shortages, labor experiences, customer experiences. And I'm going to come back outside dining, extending the reach and using package mails with videos to enhance the experience. Now, automation. The impact of COVID and the impact of today, I've been saying this for years, COVID has just accelerated these points. So we've got to prioritize safety, smaller footprints, AI We've got to accelerate that. And we have no choice. Labor shortages have happened. So we have to reinvest in our operations, reinvest in our people where we really need to have them. And so I think COVID has been, again, that that was going to happen. It would have happened at a slower rate, but now it's happened. And so that component, that's happened to every aspect. Healthcare has been, it's been brutalized because labor, again, someone may say, well, I don't want to go into an operation because of what happened. I'd rather do another type of food service, or I don't want to do that, or I'll do something behind the scenes and not deal with that. So again, non-commercial has been hurt the most with the labor shortage, I believe, and then your restaurant. Now you're talking about low sodium and all. That's been going on for years. It's kind of like, it's almost like a roller coaster. People are looking for better, I think today overall, is people looking for cleaner foods, less processing, Less processing does not mean canned or frozen. Less processing means more added ingredients. Canned food is just as equivalent nutritionally. So what I think we're finding today is food service and restaurateurs and operations is that people want good food prepared well, whatever it is, if it's a meatloaf, just a good food prepared well, and maybe an experience. So maybe in that you use an herb or spice bar in your restaurant. So you increase menu variety without increasing inventory. So people are looking at those components. Taste is really crucial. Whether you're in, now again, if you're a patient, you may have some dietary, but but overarching in healthcare, in commercial and college university, people are people want better experiences. The internet is exposed to all these good foods and pictures and Instagram and beautiful plated food. And so what people want now, if you are dietary or because you're dietary, let's say low sodium, they are looking for a Mediterranean spice that doesn't have salt, but has other ingredients in it. So it can enhance that taste. COVID long haulers who lost their smell and taste are looking for better food tasting experience so they can bring out, bring back. And so again, spices and herbs. As far as the fads, I think you'll always have fans because people are looking. But I think what I the biggest 
trend is cleaner foods, better preparations. You can have frying. It can be an air fryer. It's just different preparations, incorporating it. People in many of these food services don't have a large, because again, staffing, so they're doing smaller menus. That's great. If you're doing them great at a smaller menu, why not? Adding herbs and spices, maybe having herb gardens in your restaurant or in your food service operation so you can control that supply chain and that. But I, I just, overall, I think people want healthier food, Mediterranean diet type of ingredients, lifestyle, because it's a healthier. So using olive oil, those things will stay because they've shown, science has shown that is a better way to eat some of those incorporating those things. So people are looking for the better way to eat within their budgets. And so I think that's that's a trend that's going to stay all ages, ages groups. Did I answer the question, Greg? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> no, I think I think the other thing too that's uh, that when you go to the supermarket today, it's so much seems like to me anyway. I, I'm I'm not a food expert like uh, some of you all are, but I I just think that there's so many more things available now, things that you never would have gotten before in a local supermarket. We have a local one here, and somebody uh, raw fennel, for instance, to be able to buy that uh, every day. I mean, this is crazy for me, for, you know, a mashed potatoes and meat kind of guy. And to be a little adventurous and to try cooking new items and things like that, I, I think is really terrific. I mean, the local Costco here has, you know, mass, they mass market octopus and whole frozen lamb carcasses. I mean, where I grew up <laughs> the, yeah. way back when, a million years ago, that wasn't no, the but case. People are demanding it. Experiences have brought it through, again, those meal kits some of those meal kits and stuff has allowed people to do samplings of stuff, especially during the time, you know, and so they were incorporated. Maybe they wouldn't have tasted different olive oils. I said, I'm going to give an olive oil because when you taste an olive oil, people say it's the same. Well, it's like wine. There are different qualities. And so it does enhance your food differently. It's like oregano. When I grew up in Brooklyn, oregano, whatever it was, oregano, it must've been there from BC, who is the oregano, and I probably had it. You know, they can. The point is, oregano comes. You can have Turkish, you can have Mexican oregano, you can have all different flavors, and they have a hint of something where they're grown, so they enhance your food differently. And so people have learned that. And the more we're educating people within schools, within these kind of podcasts, people are starting to say, "Hmm, I'd like to try it." And then there's companies like Penzi's, which is a spice company that are offering things at a much more affordable rate to allow people to experience that. And again, I come back to those meal kits. Those meal kits have really exploded because it comes with everything. And so people can experience something just one time. They don't have to buy a big container or something. What if they don't like it? So those kind of things. And and I think people are, there's videos and people have made food experiences you know, like if you have signed up for a food experience, they'll send you all the food and then you can actually have somebody video and doing it at the same time. So I think what COVID has done is allowed people to explore food with, globally without going there. And so it gives them another type of experience. So when they do go there, they can then experience in the whole environment. Yeah, and I think to, to, to travel and tourism, talk about food destinations and learning about different cultures, just like the same way is, is true now with, uh, with beverages, too. Wine, whether Not only just wines, but also uh, alcohol, bourbon trail kind of thing, beer destination, hotels built all around beer as a beer holiday, going there and, uh, and enjoying beers of different types and depending upon the region. 
And by all accounts, people during COVID lockdown have been certainly experimenting with uh, with those type of beverages. And to that point, the premiumization of all these beverages, people aren't buying lower end products. They're actually buying much higher. And also with foods, I suspect, Marshall, would you agree? I think it's a mix. I think it depends on your budget and economics have played a role, but I still think there's affordable in those buckets that are there are a mix. There's such an array of you again, one size doesn't fit all, which is great. One of the things you mentioned, which got me very excited recently, is and I I think Dave and I spoke about this, is hotels are leading there's a hotel Epicurean hotel in Atlanta. I think it's the second one. There's one in Tampa that's leading it by being a food hotel. Very exciting to me because what it is, it's it's domestic, but it's just the experiences. That's their obviously it's great lodging and everything else and service, but they're leading it with the food experience. And these are this just came out. That one I think opens up when 22, tw- ends of 21, and the other one maybe at the beginning. But it's something to be said because I think people are going to look for more experiences. Like you're talking about combining it with wine or beer, whatever the locale is. But I think the whole idea, I haven't heard of this in a very long time, is having the hotel lead with food, calling it a a culinary hotel. Because what you're finding is people are looking for more culinary channels. Like I go to a restaurant and I'm going to an Italian restaurant, looking for the culinary channel of that essence, but I still want other flavors approach to it. If people are just doing one thing, it limits them. And again, with inventory the way it is and with labor, you have to be able to use your menu items and expand it so people can repeat business, can come back again and again. See, I think part of that experience also is is to be around other like-minded people when you're at that hotel or on a cruise ship. Cruise ships have been doing that for a while, I think, having similar cruises. And they bring and, they, and it's not just food, but it's all kinds of other, uh, whether it's guest speakers on a certain uh, subject matter or whatever. So, yeah, I, I think that people want to share that experience with other people that, that are curious as well. And when, I, when I'm traveling... And traveling more now after the pandemic is is going away. Hopefully, I'm seeing tours all the all the time in different cities around the place where where people are you know being brought from restaurant to restaurant and and, and uh, retail outlets you know where there's a guide talking about all these all these foods and educating the educating the people. To be honest, when I would pre this, I always did food tours. That's to me, love museums, but I love food more. And the way I think you see a city, town, country is through food. So when I was in Montreal, I signed up for a food tour. And it I can go back and do different things after the tour was over, but it did enlighten myself to the culture and what was going on in the background. When I was in Paris, I said a company called Paris by Mouth, which I went to bakeries and I went to charcuterie and I kind of experienced now, yes, I could have probably found it myself, but it was just a whole, I did it with a chef and three other couples. So how good is that? And walk was a walking food tour in Paris. So again, I find that whenever I go to an area, that's what I look for. So I think people within your area, within New, I live near New York, New Jersey, there, there are more of those cropping up more ta- more than ever. It's when I lived in Brooklyn, I ended up doing a tour years ago when I was in uh, college, and I was in Queens College undergrad, and I did a tour, a walking tour in the village, in the city. And you would say, well, why would you do that? Because there are so many behind the scenes, the way the homes are, there's whole gardens and cities behind. Most people don't know that because you only see what mm-hmm. you see on the streets. I, I grew up, and but I decided to do it because I wanted to learn more about that area, how it evolved and started. And again, when you 
tend to travel, food should be kind of becoming part of that. And to me, that's really how I learn about people, culture, inclusion. We're really lucky here in New York because we're only 15 miles from Hershey. <laughs> there you go. See, I feel like chocolate. It's a sweet spot, me. isn't it? <laughs> Hershey, what a sweet spot. It okay. Is, uh, Everybody, we're here with Marsha Diamond. Marsha is, is the CEO and owner of her own company that helps people within the food service business on both the business side, and she's got a great background in culinary and nutrition, uh, a lot of expertise in those areas. So we're getting all the, the skinny on a lot of different areas with Marsha today. We're going to come back in our second section of the episode, and we're going to talk to Marsha a little bit about the graying of America, what's happening in the some of the sectors within the food service group with people getting just a little bit older. So we'll be right back with more from Marsha Diamond. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. And welcome back, everybody. We're here today on Every Other Thursday with Marsha Diamond. And Marsha has been taking us through some of the trends that she sees uh, coming that are going on now and are, are continuing and getting more prominent. But I also want to talk about the graying of America within food service, what that actually might mean, Marsha. How do you see uh, the demographics changing in the food service sector? I think what it is, is that because of the internet made everything so small in the sense of you can get on to anything and learn about different things. Obviously, you have to do the right sources and so forth. But I think because people are experienced, whether they're experiencing through eating or through a video or through friends, is that there's a variety of foods out there that haven't been available or you can even order them online. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in your grocery store. It's easily e-commerce to get those things. I think the global reach and the media savvy people want more. Years ago, college universities, even healthcare senior living, were able to serve more traditional, what you would think of in those settings. Today, as you have the graying of America, you have people wanting and expecting more. They want sushi. Would you have ever seen that in a senior facility before? Probably not. You probably didn't understand that it's not only fish. You can do so many varieties of sushi. You could do everything from vegetarian to fish to just uh, outside rice paper. And there's so many things and they call it. So the idea is Thai food. When I grew up, did I know what it is? No, unless I lived in that community. Today, you're able to get, understand Thai and the seasonings and, you know, and the culture of not only Asian influence, but Spanish and different heritages, soul food. Again, if you are near a metropolitan city, you may see some of those cropping up. But if you don't and you still want to experience it, the idea is that's where the Internet's come into being. And so in your audience, wherever you are, you have to look at your audience. And so when we come back to non-commercial, we talk about students. University have been doing this for a while because students are from all over, all over the world sometimes, and you have to embrace their cultural inclusions. And so you bring that food in and then you find out other students who aren't even from that area are going to that channel culinary and experiencing and enjoying it. And that expands and it expands. Where You think about vegetarian and universities with such a small sector, 
It's huge now. Not because someone's a vegetarian, but because they like the taste and experience of the types of food. So I think the graying of America, I think it's just about that we've had more people who's traveled and been around and or experienced. But I also think you look at the younger populations and they too, did you you ever see a child eating with chopsticks? You didn't see that, but now you do. You see the cultural inclusion of different foods and different techniques of eating and people from all over the world living together closer and closer proximity and therefore sharing experiences, holidays, traditions, and heritage. So if I'm an operator and I'm listening to to, to you, Marsha, it sounds like there's a lot of challenges ahead in that trying to keep up with this ever more sophisticated, maybe more fickle guest base. People are wanting more and more different things. They're more adventurous. And uh, so I I, I guess I got to pedal faster to keep up with all that. I think it's looking at your menu, seeing your audience. And like I told you about the herb and spice bar, maybe just having those ingredients and influencing it. You don't have to increase your inventory, but increase increase your creativity. So, I mean, I look at a restaurant in the city called, I think it's 11 Madison Avenue. I can't remember. I think that's what it is. It was, I remember years ago when I went, when we were at the hotel show years ago, I remember walking and I don't know if you were there, that day, but I walked around the city and I ended up there and they were not vegetarian. They were, they were very high end and a tasting menu. They have changed their whole focus. And I thought it was experience. The inventory wasn't very big, small menu, but they creativity. Fast forward, they turned the whole menu into a vegetarian, which is sustainability. They decided that they're going to change the movement. In addition with COVID, obviously restaurants were closed and things started to open up. They decided to do takeout. Takeout became, they had, they had a ghost kitchen. They were also had a food truck. They decided to do that. With takeout, they were able to reach out and people were able to afford it. Thanksgiving 2020, I decided I needed to do something. And they were doing pickups, strategic places in New Jersey and in New York. They would deliver or, and it was a little high end, but they, what they did is they gave you everything to make the Thanksgiving dinner. So they didn't give it already done. They cooked it, they prepped it, and they let you finish it off. So there really a lot of thought had to go into it. And then you picked it up in a bag, in an insulated bag that said their name on it. But it was an experience with information and that. I said, I thought I was getting ready and just going to stick it in the oven. But no, it was an experience from the time I picked it up, how they. And so the idea is people changed. They're looking at, and I want to, you know, I know something that we've talked about is that how are people having to change is to look at your audience and how do you have to adapt? Pickup of yesteryear is very different than pickup today when it's done right. Think about it. Between curbside and pickup and ghost kitchens and doing some of your, depending on your quantity, they have got beverages and also some porcelain dishes. Sometimes you're including in it sustainable and just get, trying a little bit, charging a little bit more rather than that. But I love that I get something. I get a container that's a porcelain. I can reuse it. It's like the melamine. I like it. I like getting things like that. And I pay a little bit more, but it's an experience when I get it out. It's plated, just like I said with the. So again, there's lots of things out there, but you're going to go to certain restaurants and certain things for what they can give you from that experience. You know, if my grab and go is just an old-fashioned styrofoam. You know, again, it takes away from that filet mignon that I'm spending $40 on, but I'm still getting a pickup because of because of what was going on. 
and that whole experience of that quality preparation technique. Well, that insight regarding like the styrofoam container, that kind of leads us to, we talk about a lot of things about food service and restaurant in general. We, 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 we look at the whole landscape, but our roots are really in tabletop. And so what do you see going on there in terms of dinnerware or anything else for that matter that goes on a tabletop that's changing? I will tell you that I think that because any of outside dining and all of this, you, you have to consider things like bento boxes that are sustainable, that you give somebody home and then they charge. Listen, if they charge me a few bucks more, I'm okay with that because I got a bento box. It's kind of cool. I can, you know, the porcelain bento box that are sustainable. You know, if I got liquor home, and I'm going to the curbside because that part of the population and you give me a nice mason glass or you give me I'm okay with that. I'll pay for that service so that it gives me that experience. Now for people that can, you have to find viable financial to do it. But the styrofoam, first of all, in May, I think in Jersey it's going to start, especially in non-commercial, is that it's going to be, you're not allowed to do it. It'll be starting. You won't be able to use styrofoam. So with sustainability, you have to look at other things. And that's where companies on tabletop can look at things that are viable alternatives. They've also come up with things that are like exchangeable programs. We, in universities, you bring, you get something takeout and you bring it back and you get a voucher, you know, that counts for your next time. So there, how people feel out with food safety, I'm not sure, but you give people a choice. If you don't want to do that, it's this much. So it's not an exchangeable program. Some students would do that. Some healthcare would do that if they work in the, the facility and you bring back your bento box. And others like myself would prefer to just to have a collection of four or five. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think when you start thinking about the, the, the conversation earlier about takeout and delivery and how it's gone upscale and, and the pickup and all that, I think to bring home that either fully prepared or mostly prepared already, so you finish it off, Marcia, as you said, that restaurant experience to try and replicate that with nice dinnerware in the home, uh, the same wine glass. Uh, Jay will love this because Jay's company makes some great wine glasses for restaurants, but they use more and more in the home. But to replicate that that food and beverage experience and have a great quality dining experience in the home now, you have access to not only the ingredients, but now the restaurants, the great restaurants, white table cloth, Michelin-starred restaurants, and now are giving it a chance to bring it into your home, too, if you're not quite comfortable going out. Well, interesting you said that a couple of restaurants in Chicago were doing that where people couldn't afford to eat in their restaurants or tasting menus. So You can't get a, can't get a reservation. <laughs> well, besides that, they, they made it affordable. Yeah. So they yeah. let people experience it who never may have been in that, not that because their monies were in different areas. And so they've experienced where they go back again and again. And so now they're building up a volume of, of pickup. Yeah, it's it's a trial balloon. But they have that, and then they have their dining, in-house dining, which is kind of cool. They added another retail revenue source, which is like the outside dining. You know, you live in Chicago. I live in New Jersey. At a certain point, you're freezing, you know, like Eskimos out there. But now people have designed things that you can sit out all year round. It's possible, open with an open thing. But also, that's the one thing they were missing is tabletop. They didn't know how to do tabletop glassware because they would give you the plastic. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm having glass of wine. If I'm sitting here, I could do that at home and get a bottle. I want the experience. So maybe it's more of that unbreakable type of glass that looks like it, right, Jay, that can give me that experience yeah. outside. 
don't give me the paper cup because that's not, again, that's not part of the experience. If I'm spending high-end money and you're just afraid of it breaking, then find a source of glass that's going to work for that outside dining. So again, I think it's here to stay as far as tablecloths and that. If you have nice tables and they're nice for, and you, you know, I'd rather see a nice rather than a tablecloth. And I mean, I like to see you wipe it down, you know, and that's one thing I know that um, Dave and I spoke about branding and communication. If you're using certain wipes, put it on your website. If you are food safety and your sanitation, let people know, shout it out. Mom and dad operations to the chains. Shout that out. That is branding. That is making people, not everyone cares, but it's making a lot of the population. If I look at the trends and the insights from some data essentials, safety and food. So you're letting people know I'm using these. We care about you. Not just taking that dirty rag, spraying it, rewiping, you know. So those kind of things, let people know. Um, if you're using a Tropicana juice, whatever juice, let people know you're doing this kind of stuff. Because when I was back in operations, back in the 80s and 90s, and when I was in operations, when we were, I was in some healthcare, we would work a promotion that if Tropicana was in my site, on the menu, obviously they sponsored. Why? Because people like I mean, now there's others, but people like that showed a premium, even if they were in healthcare, that we were serving a premium product. The more you do that, even on your menus, you may not want to do it in your menu, but you do it in your website or your Facebook or whatever you saw, the more people go, they're having this. If you've outside dining, visual. If you can't take a video and show a two-minute thing of your outside dining, then you're really just not having outside dining. You have two tables sitting in front of your door. To me, all of that, the more, again, there's lots of people that are still tentative. By you doing that, you'll you'll get that people to come in more frequently. Again, if you care about that audience, there's a big percentage of people that you're missing that you would probably bring in quicker. Yeah, I think I think whether it's uh, the food, the beverage, or even sometimes the tabletop, people want to know the provenance of the items that they're putting into their bodies and to tell those stories. Sometimes it can get a little long on a menu or whatever, but but I think that there there is an appropriate linkage between a brand that uh, you're using, using the products you use in a restaurant or any kind of food service operation, using them for a reason. Mm-hmm. And and brands are all about trust, ultimately, whether it's the restaurant, the, the brand itself, or the ingredients that they're using in it, or, or perhaps even the tableware. But I, I think uh, it's important. For, people are curious. They want to know these things. So. Well, it's, it's transparency. Go yeah. back to transparency. It's transparency, yeah. whether it's in college, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in a lodging restaurant, it's transparency. If you're going to write it, do it. And if you do it, you'll, you'll increase loyalty. If you, if you write it and you don't do it, again, it's transparency. And I think in food service today, one of the key words is transparency. That's why I got into glassware. It's the most transparent business you can be in. See? <laughs> See? <laughs> Marsha, you're always working on all kinds of things, and I know the Marsha Diamond Pipeline is probably pretty extensive and far-reaching. Anything you can tell our listeners about what you've got coming up next, what kinds of things you're working on, or maybe maybe, uh, maybe you're looking for projects in a certain area. What's going on with Marsha Diamond coming down the road? All the above. All the above. I'm always looking for something that I can help and, and be passionate about. I'm working, you know, I work with software, AI, robotics. I'm working with a startup right now and helping them bring some ideas to the U.S. They're Europe-based. 
I'm working with uh, the MDR project, which is the Mediterranean Diet Roundtable, which is a thought leadership program. It's about informing and inspiring people to translate the benefits into their menus, what the Mediterranean sci- the science of the Mediterranean lifestyle has said. So what's exciting about that is the people that are involved in it, everyone from, it's really B2B, so it's food service. So it's high-end restaurants, college, Yale, college universities, John Hopkins, they're serving their patients. So what they're doing is bringing B2B, talking about the benefits of different ingredients. Just because we hear the term Mediterranean, we already think all the ingredients are over there. Mediterranean just means a lifestyle. You can have tomatoes from New Jersey. Actually, the tomato plant, I've heard this, the tomato plant from New Jersey actually was taken to Greece. And that's how they got their tomatoes originally. See, what I find fascinating is the word Mediterranean, the, the, the phrase Mediterranean diet has all these healthy connotations so assigned to it, based on and, science. Based on science. well, yes, but, but but nobody knows the science. I mean, the, you know but the science because you're an science. expert. Yeah. But most people don't know the science. They just say, "Oh, it's Mediterranean. It's got to be healthy." And and that's that's an unbelievable achievement to have those kinds of those connotations to be with any brand. Very positive stuff. Yeah, and, and and tomatoes came from this part of the world to be to begin with. Right, <laughs> that's correct. And walnuts. And nuts and things like that. So when people think about Mediterranean, we we wanted to think about the U.S. You know, the U.S. There are some platforms here. It's just about taking here. those ingredients, those tree nuts. Yes. Besides that, but taking those green those ingredients and incorporating them so that you have the variety of that. So so I think the idea is to. Again, people are, that's a project that I'm on. I'm very passionate about it. It's good to see people understand what it means because, to be honest, when I heard it, even though I knew the science, I said, I don't think it's going to translate to menus because people think they have to eat in a Greek restaurant or this. It, you can be in a diner, now I'm from Northeast, and have a Mediterranean, well, diners, a lot of them are Greek owners, well, and but a lot of them don't incorporate their, their backgrounds into those because they're trying to commercialize it for the people that but now they're finding out people based on the science so they can incorporate some of that and then get the value like i said about olive oil people at one point said to me they would go to costco and buy the big jug and i said okay and i did that too i'm not but then what i ended eventually doing the tasting and saying hmm if i'm going to put that into my food and the ingredient isn't good in the first place then how good is my food going to really be it's like wine you can, I remember when I grew up, well, now we have screw tops, but remember back then you didn't have good ones, <laughs> but you had bag in the box and all that. Nowadays it's come a long way, but back then when I, you didn't, anytime you heard that connotation, it wasn't quality. Now you can get wines, all price ranges, but all different qualities from different parts of the world. I think at one point they would say, don't drink California wines because, but now certain people have taken back the vines and really have nurtured it. So I, I think the idea is we're talking about globalization or we're talking about food and to incorporate a type of what I, Mediterranean lifestyle into your menus. Because I think in, if we do that, it's basically, it's plant-based, it's fish, it's chicken. It's not just, you know, it's more of those items, but it's fruit and vegetables. It does have wine and oils, but just to understand the component of that and preparation the type of preparation. Now, do they fry? Yes. It's just everything in moderation and understand the lifestyle that if you follow that moral, you probably in the long run will be healthier based on the science. And so if people are looking for something, I think that's a trend or fad 
that they can get behind with a lot of, with the essence of it. I don't buy other oils now. I buy olive oil only. And people will say, well, then it, when you're baking, it's not, if you have a good quality olive oil, it's not that extra taste. And so when you bake with it, you're not tasting the olives where you would typically, the big quantity jugs you probably would. I don't buy canola oil. I figured the olive oil has a higher melting point, a lot of the qualities. And if I'm getting the benefits, why not put it in my cookie? Sure. Right? Yeah. Sure. Kind of how I look at it. Well, there's lots to talk to you about, Marsha. We could keep going on all day. But first thing, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been really interesting. And, and I always love talking to you because I learn stuff. Why don't you tell people where they can go and find you on Al Gore's wonderful internet? Uh, what's the website address? It's MarshaDiamond.com. M-A-R-S-H-A-D-I-A-M-O-N-D.com. Or Twitter, it's Marsha Diamond. LinkedIn, it's Marsha Diamond. So clever, Marsha Diamond. You are so clever as always. It's been a thrill having you here. Thanks so much for joining us here on every other Thursday. And uh, we'll look forward to getting you back. I want to hear more about the Mediterranean diet. We'll bring you back for, for that if you don't mind. So, I would love it. Look. And maybe we'll bring Daniela as well, who's the executive director of it. She would love that. Bring that would on. be terrific. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, thanks so much. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. All right. Have a great day. Have a great day. Thank you. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.